people want to buy what others are buying, not what others are selling. So if you're out there, sell, 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 sell all the time, you know, then essentially you're communicating the exact opposite of what people want to buy. This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, episode 34. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. Robert, we're back for another week. We are. You always use my Sunday name, don't you, on this podcast? I like to, Robert. I, like to <laughs> I don't know why. Do, do, you know, do you have any friends or maybe family members who always say people's names too often? Yeah, you know, no. you know, those people are like, oh, I, I, like my mum always does it all the time. Like, isn't that right, Kennedy? And uh, Kennedy, you know, like every sentence has to have my name in the beginning and the end of the sentence. And the end of it. Kennedy, <laughs> what do you think of this, Kennedy? I'm like, I, I, I know, there's only me in the room, ma'am. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like she's copying and pasting our sentences together. <laughs> it's like she's got that mail merge function, like sort of jammed on a on a keyboard. Anyway, how's your week been? Uh, very good. You've been busy running around the response suite office, like making it all happen. A lunatic, yeah, as ever. It's just all these little bits to run in the business, isn't it? I know, it's hard being, being an influencer that way and after influence, I did there, uh, I shoehorned the word influencer in just so everybody would know what we're talking about, being an influencer. What's your opinion on this whole influencer marketing thing? Like being an absolute massive influencer, everyone's got like a course about it. We're seeing it all the time. What's, what do you think? What, is it just, a, is it like a, a current, like, what do you think? Well, I mean, there's two different types of influencer, isn't there? There's the people who are influencers because they've been on some reality TV show and they're suddenly really like popular and famous. And therefore, yeah, it's if like if Beyonce wears the perfume exactly. or tweets about this cool restaurant. Exactly. But, but there's people who have arguably less talent than Beyonce, for example. So people who are just on you know, horrendous reality TV shows. And people in America will know what theirs are. People in the UK will know what ours are, etc. But I think that on a good level, the way that I use being an influencer, and I guess it only recently dawned on me, is there was a couple of years where I was selling a $5,000 coaching program. Mm-hmm. And I sold a couple hundred, sorry, a few hundred grand's worth, probably six or 700 grand's worth of this coaching program. Right. And I didn't have a sales process for it. And by that, I mean, there was no, like none at all. There was no webinar. There was a, obviously a, a process white, but by which people could buy it. There was no webinars. There was no sales process for it. People could just come to me say, I want to apply for your coaching. And that was it. There was nothing to bring them in. Not a Facebook ad insight. When was this? Nothing. I mean, 2014, 2015, around that sort of Okay. Site. It sounds like you're writing like the marketing copy for some amazing course. You can become a bajillionaire this afternoon without any, <laughs> without a face or any took, talent. But it took loads of work and it was an absolute accident. And the way I did it was I just went to lots of marketing events where my people would hang out. Like in real life? And I, yeah, yeah. And I went there because I wanted to go to the event, not because I wanted to get anything out of it, not because I wanted to sell anything. And over a period of time, I sort of accidentally built this little tribe of people who actually had just met me in real life and thought I was cool. Oh, so you weren't like a speaker at one of these events. You no, were no, just no, attending. Just, just attending. And you paid, you paid to go along. Paid to go along. Thing. Cool shebang. Okay. And then what would happen was I would, one, once I decided I'm going to open a coaching program. So I wrote a big long blurb about it on Facebook and, I, and it didn't sell the coaching program. It just said, I'm doing it and this is why I'm doing it and this is what it is. Okay. And I, it didn't say what, how it's delivered or any of those things. Posted it on Facebook and I thought, you know what? If I sell 10 of those, I'll run that coaching program this year and that'll be and good. And did you just promote the post? Did you? No, no. I posted it on my profile, not my page. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I didn't have a Facebook page, I don't think. I posted it on my Facebook profile where I'd become... Was it definitely Facebook or like Bebo or MySpace? <laughs> definitely or Facebook. Where I'd become friends with all these people who I'd met at yeah. these events. Because you know what it's like? You're at events and you get talking to people and you add each other on the socials and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was that. And then next thing I know, uh, I, I, I said, I'll open these 10. And I thought, I'm going to give myself two weeks to sell the 10. And then if that works, I'll start. Yeah. So went ahead, did it, sold the 10 like that without really thinking about it. And um, 
that was it. And for the next couple of years, that was all I did was I just attended events, enjoyed the event because I would have been there anyway, and then came away, added as many people as I could on Facebook, and they added me. Next thing I know, I talked about it, and, and that was kind of it. And I guess I'd become a sort of a, a influential person sufficiently that without any sales, none of these people had seen a single screenshot about my income. None of them knew what the particularly what the system was that I would teach. You just went along with a, like, just a nice guy. Just a nice person. And that it's was funny. That. It sort of reminds me about what we talked about back on episode number 32 with Richard Tubb talking about going to networking events and actually networking with people live. This wasn't like an official networking event. Like you weren't standing there swapping business cards. You were literally attending things this and networking. Is... But it was building up that authority just by being in the room and like sharing your knowledge and just talking in the breaks and stuff like that. Yeah, cool. yeah. And the events that I have been at as a speaker, I've never pitched from the stage, even when it's allowed. Okay. I like to be the only guy in the room who hasn't pitched anything. That's a massive, massive, massive bit, isn't it? That's amazing. So and just off the back of that, made some friends, which means you became sort of almost like attractive. There's almost like there's two bits, isn't there? Like there's either you can go and chase people, like you're a hunter uh, of, of customers, or you can be almost, what's the opposite of a hunter? The, the person who sort of sits there and sort of attracts people in and they say, actually, can I give you money? Do you have a coaching program? You seem like a really humble person who's not like gagging for work. There is almost that sort of thing, isn't it? I suppose if you are like an influencer, that's the big advantage, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I am an influencer in the term that it's used nowadays but that was certainly a principle of influencership <laughs> that i came across by accident just by doing it Become and since then some enormous names in marketing people everyone will have heard of have said to have noticed that that worked i've, I've noticed i did it and mm. said did that work and i had to explain it and i said there was really nothing more to it than that i didn't have any clever sales process or anything it was just that and people if you're inter interested fill out this form and that's that that's really, really interesting. You see, the, the experience I have of becoming influential in the marketplace was, um, for those of you who don't know, one of my businesses is in selling, sh showing other entertainers how to build their businesses, right? Sounds um, like something from the circus, doesn't it? If you're not in that industry. <laughs> it does, yeah, yeah. You know, because a lot of people are doing it part-time and they want to build these fantastic businesses and that, I help them do that. And uh, because I've been doing that myself for like 16 years or whatever. And one of the things that I decided to do was to become an influencer or a, or a key person of influence as our guest today we'll be talking about in a few moments time is to actually what you're going to do to be an influencer well i think one of the th certainly the key things you could do is to take a stance on something like i think if you are just blandly sort of riding the sort of the sort of the lazy river of of in your market and you sort of blend in with everybody else then nobody pays any attention to you whereas actually if you take a stance against something a common uh, problem or a common issue or a common person or, or something that's going on in the business we've taken a stance against good hairstyles yeah for, for example. example like well speak for yourself so <laughs> we so I, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on in that marketplace which i said Do you know what it is people are complaining to me and moaning at me about it i also believe the same thing i'm gonna make that a really big part of my marketing so now i call all that stuff out i say hey are you tired of this stuff do you think all of this is bullshit well good so do i and here's what i think about it and here's the impact it's gonna have and then people who agree with me on my stance that i'm taking come closer to me. So I think one of the key things for me about becoming an influencer really is about taking a stance and that will bring people to you. But the big thing you've got to be, be okay with, I suppose, is that it's also going to push some people away. I know there's some people who hate my stuff because of that exact same reason, because they don't agree with it. Yet the people who love it 
absolutely love it. And that's a big thing. You know, I think if you push some people away, that's going to pull other people in, people in closer. And as usual, Free Market is walking to a podcast. It's brought to you by the fine folks, us folks, at Response Suite. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. <laughs> and we've got a really cool freebie to give away for you uh, this week. Well, let's tuning in, Robert. Tell us yeah. a little bit about So we've that. been talking about coaching just then. One of the things that we've really discovered and mastered over the years, I think, is how to create an influential and uh, really high converting application form. So if you've got some sort of high ticket coaching or consulting or service and you use an application form to get people in, you should absolutely go and download our perfect application form template. Which you can download from perfectapplicationform.com. Right now, it's completely free. And so we're talking about influence today and becoming, becoming that sort of key person of influence. And that's what we're talking about with today's guest. Yes, Daniel Priestley, the author of four books, I think, uh, on, in this series. At least. Uh, it's four in this series anyway. Uh, oversubscribed is my favorite. I love it. Uh, and then key person of influence is very good as well. So he's going to be chatting today about all of those things. So let's find out what he had to say. Mr. Daniel Priestley, welcome to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. Brilliant podcast name. Thank you very much for having me on the show. <laughs> the name's not the best bit either. You wow. Wow. Oh, no, no pressure. Now I've, now I've got to really perform. <laughs> the guests that. we've had on this podcast, I'll tell you, you're in great company. So you've got a really amazing reputation that you've kind of built over a period of time for being an entrepreneur and an all-round successful businessman. So which three skills do you credit your success to that you think other entrepreneurs you've seen or worked with really need to like polish up on? So I'd say the first one is pitching. I was very lucky to be uh, trained by a mentor who taught me skills in pitching. And most entrepreneurs, um, you know, they're, they're uncomfortable when they're asked the question, what do you do? Or if they're put into a pitching situation um, and, um, and they don't have a, a framework or a way of approaching that. The next one would be about creating a product ecosystem. So actually developing, um, you know, a strong set of products not just one product but um, I really encourage people to have four products and that would be uh, you know that that's one of the key elements and then probably uh, the third one would be putting together strategic partnerships uh, so those would be three uh, three key um, skills and if there was a fourth if I can throw in one extra it would be okay it, it would be I've been very very lucky to get some good people on the team and I'd put that under kind of like partnerships because we we, t- we treat our entire team like they're like their strategic partners. Right, and keeping people engaged and doing all that stuff. Because you can't do it on your own, can you? So one of the things you're really big at and really great at is positioning, or as you call it, becoming a key person of influence. How does that actually becoming this sort of key person actually help you in business? Well, in every industry, there are a small group of people who are known, liked, and trusted. Their names come up in conversation, um, and they're called the key people of influence in the industry. And so if I take you back a little bit back to my backstory, I originally had an events company where we would promote these top speakers and authors and celebrities, um, and we'd take them on these event tours. And what I witnessed firsthand in that role was um, just how many opportunities come flying at them nonstop. So, you know, they stand up on stage and there's 700 people in the room. And then people come and they say, I've brought my business plan. Can you have a look at it? And could you be an investor? Could I give you some shares um, in this company? Uh, You know, it's nonstop um, just opportunity. And then when they're traveling between venues, you know, they might do a radio interview or they might um, uh, have, uh, have someone apply for a job that they've been looking to the right person. There might be a strategic partnership meeting um, before or after an event. So it's this unbelievable attraction of just lots of, lots of great opportunities coming up. And I remember thinking, you know, if, how would a normal person compete with this? How do you, you know, how do you build a business when you're not 
a key person of influence? And then the answer was obvious. You have to be. You have to get yourself to be a key person of influence within a niche or a micro niche so that you're getting some inbound inquiries and you're getting people uh, including you in on important conversations and that you're, you know, all of those things are happening. It's amazing that this seems to solve the idea that uh, of all the things that we want to get, we want to recruit really good people. And therefore a really good way of doing that is to be a desirable person to work with or for, right? Like everybody yeah. wants to work for some of these big tech companies who win the, oh, what's the best place in the world to work? Or, um, or you might want to be rather than chasing after new customers and oh, I need to run a billion dollars worth of Facebook ads a day and I need to do all this stuff on Google and go to a million different networking events. Instead of that, you almost become like, this is a crappy metaphor, but like a magnet who's like magnetically attracting people. That was all, I, I nearly just threw up in my mouth there. It was a horrible <laughs> analogy. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you mentioned about um, getting great people working with the company and I think the, the moment that a business really takes off is when the team comes together and that, and that, Every entrepreneur's dream is to attract people who are overlings, not underlings, people who are better than you are at each task and each thing in the business. And, um, and really that only happens if you're a key person of influence. So that was the other thing I noticed that these key people of influence, they just attract talent. They attract great salespeople. They attract great marketers. They attract young, vibrant, talented, intelligent people who want to come in and, and work with them. And, um, uh, you know, that's, that's one of those magic moments when that, when that happens and being a key person of influence really helps with that. I think what you can see is that it's not just about getting clients and getting customers and making sales, but it really has that impact on every different area of your life. I mean, what would you say are the kind of the main elements to becoming this key person of influence? I mean, it's a nice idea, isn't it? You know, when you see like the Hollywood film stars and you think they've got this glow about them and the same thing applies. You to, see you know, Daniel like, Priestley and you think, I really want to work for him <laughs> and he's fabulous. I want to give him all my money. Exactly. How have you done it? Well, uh, so there's two types of skills um, that, that you need in business. And there's the functional skills, which um, if you're a photographer, you need to know how to use, you know, aperture and f-stop and choose which lens and set up the lights and all of those things, which I would call the functional skills of being a photographer. Um, or if you're an accountant, you obviously need to use zero and spreadsheets and, you know, that sort of stuff. So those are the functional skills. And then there's these vital skills and the vital skills um, vitality means life force and it means irreplaceable and it, it, essentially it's the skills of being the irreplaceable life force of the business um, and the five skills that I talk about in the book is uh, pitching the vision so you know the ability to pitch publishing content uh, choosing great products raising profile and doing partnerships so those are the five P's um, and if you look at someone like Richard Branson he's got you know 150 different companies around the world what does he actually do? He does those five Ps. He's out there pitching the vision of what Virgin, Virgin is all about. He publishes a book every other year. He publishes stuff in the, in the papers. Um, he chooses which products are the best products for the Virgin brand. So he's just gotten into cruise ships um, and launched a cruise ship. So he's chosen that as a new product. Um, he does raising his profile. You know, he's very much the media, media savvy face of the business. And then he does partnerships where he won't just launch a cruise ship by himself. He'll select um, an experienced cruise ship operator uh, to be the operational partner. And he'll put together these funding partners, these strategic partners um, who can run the business. And he brings together those partnerships. So he, that, those are the five things that Branson is doing at all times. And he's not learning how to fly planes or learning how to do finance and accounting. He's just focusing on being 
the key person of influence for the business. Okay, so let, let's take brands for the example, or maybe you in your business example. There's a lot of these people who've become like a celebrity in an area, but that usually means that it's your face, your name on everything, in every magazine, on the side of the train, on the side of the plane, in the adverts, everywhere. But we know that there are certain people who have found that when they get to a point where they want to exit or they want to scale a business beyond themselves, where that's sort of become a real restrictor. How do we make sure that because it's all about you how do we make sure that we don't get restricted or trapped by that yeah we'll look for total clarity i just want to be clear here that my face is not on the side of any planes um <laughs> you know I, not I know you? it's not it's not you there that's michael buble oh um, and yeah e- easy to get mistaken but uh, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's the michael buble jet that you're thinking about but uh, look um great point and a lot of people ask me this question uh, you know, what if it all becomes about me? And the the, the funny, ironic dichotomy, the, the kind of um, counterintuitive reality here is that when you become a key person of influence, weirdly, the business runs without you. Um, and the reason for that is great people show up who want to join the team. Um, things come to you quite easily. Um, so opportunities come to you faster. You're not running around trying to make things happen. A lot of stuff comes to you. Hmm. Um, and that makes life a little easier and, um, you can charge a premium. So there's margin in what you do, but then if you look at who does actually sell companies and who makes a lot of money from selling companies, it's key people of influence. So Branson sells companies all the time. Every year he sells another company. Sometimes he sells 50%. Sometimes he sells 90%. Sometimes he sells a hundred percent. So Virgin, I think Virgin media is actually just a licensing deal. Um, but he started the company initially and then and then sold it. It's almost like the gears in a car. If you think about a business that runs without you, a business that scales is gear number four. And you say, yeah, I want to go into gear number four. If you try and start the car in gear four, the car stalls. It never, ta- it never gets going in the first place. So you have to go through some gears. You have to initially the business is all about you getting out there and selling and hustling and working hard. And then suddenly working hard doesn't pay off the way it used to. You actually work yourself and burn yourself out if you do that forever. Then you change gears and you make yourself that key person of influence with a team of three to 12 people, core people around you. Um, And that works really well for a while. And then you have to leverage through campaigns and promotions uh, and really sort of take the stage or be in the media and, and, and that sort of stuff. And then if you make it, uh, if you just do that, you end up um, making it all about you. And once again, put yourself at a bit of a, a risk of burning out. And then the next phase is about building assets into the business, digital assets, especially uh, that you trans, you transfer the value and the knowledge and the intellectual property and the brand and the culture into digital assets and then the business takes on a life without you. And that's kind of gear four. Um, absolutely. If you were looking at your mentor traveling down the highway in gear four and you say, okay, well, you know, that's, that's obviously the key to success. You say, yeah, okay, well, that's where they are now, but they didn't start that way. So, um, yeah, so there's a transition. There is. And I, th- I think one of the things I'm trying to sort of juggle in my head is when you become this sort of key person of influence, how do you actually, my, my, sort of, my head's in a sort of a strange place now in that I'm thinking, okay, so you become this key place of person of influence that drives down a lot of the cost that you might have and a lot of that sort of coming from a place of need, I suppose, and becoming more attractive and that's great. And you're moving off in that gear, that's grand. But then 
does it become, it must become quite challenging to filter out all the opportunities because I know that yourself, you will, will certainly be getting this and Rob and I get this every week or so. We, we have other people coming to us saying, can we partner in this? So I've got this great idea and will you help me with that? And do you want to work together on this other thing? How do you filter out all that stuff and just get to the stuff of going? Because you don't want to push away opportunities, which could be great. But oh, the this, is time, a, this is actually the big challenge. So It's really um, challenging. You go from, when you start out in business, you go from, uh, you go, you basically, you start out and you chase opportunities. So you're just chasing all the time. You're chasing customers and chasing people and chasing partners and chasing suppliers. And like, you know, there's this weird experience when you're starting out in business where you want to spend money and they won't even return your call. You know, yeah. you kind of, you know, you kind of like, you know, you're trying to book venues or you're trying to book a supplier or talk to an accountant. And, and, you know, because you're small and because you're starting out, you chase, 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 chase. And even when you're trying to spend money, um, sometimes you can't get through to the right person. <laughs> um, so, you know, phase one is chase. Uh, and then suddenly it tips. And uh, if you, especially if you become a, a key person of influence and, um, you know, something like that, the attraction that you have, you have to get good at curating. So you have to become, you know, world-class at figuring out what is the right opportunity for you. And this is challenging because in the world that we currently live in, there are so many opportunities, you know, it's like, Dan, do you want to get involved in this Bitcoin ICO? Dan, do you want to um, get involved in, you know, a new startup that we're doing? Do you want to get involved in scaling this business? Do you want to turn around opportunity? There's a business that's failing and needs turning around. Do you want to, you know, get given half the business in order to turn it around? Do you want to, you know, invest in this property? Do you want to invest in this artwork? Do you want to get involved in this development that's happening? It's like, it's non, like, Literally, it's nonstop, and you have to get really good at politely declining stuff that's ninety nine percent right but one percent wrong. And you are looking just that one percent wrong because there are those things that are a hundred percent right. And so, do you put together like almost like a, a list of criteria of what you're looking for, and and do you change that criteria often? I've I've got I've got my criteria, and it's also you get a feel. You get a feel for things, and not only that, my team get a feel for things. So um, I have this amazing team of people around me, and most things hit them first, and they you know delete ninety percent of, uh, of of stuff, and then you know you get it. It does actually ease off as soon as you've got a team who understand what's right and wrong as well. Right. Very cool. Now, Daniel, we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to play our favorite little game here of the, uh, of the three marketers walk into a podcast. Uh, and here's how it works. My colleague Kennedy here. Hello. That's him. is going to sing a song for you. And he's going to sing it in the style of a traditional British club singer, which does mean that some of the words may be somewhat disguised. Somewhat. Your job, Daniel, and dear listener at home, is to try and guess what you think the song might be. And uh, we'll ask you after he has finished this rendition. So, Kennedy, take it away. Uh, fake plastic chairs by Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so close. Uh, we will do the big reveal uh, in but a moment's time, and you'll, you'll honestly you'll, you'll you'll be jaw dropped when you hear what it is. <laughs> fire and rain. It was bang on. I'm gonna be honest. Fire and rain. James, James Taylor. You don't get two shots of it. Come on. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Ever the opportunist. <laughs> Here's a question. We've talked already about this idea that when you first start out, you're kind of chasing after things and trying to get everything happening for you. And then eventually there's that tipping point. So one of the big things that I think is massive for everyone is, you know, 
everyone probably looks at people who are starting out probably look at other people's websites like yours and they'll see featured in and then whatever the you know the industry magazines are so it might be featured in forbes or uh, women's weekly depending on what marketplace that's you're one in. i want to be in <laughs> so for somebody who wants to get some good media coverage but the media is not hounding them yet how can they do that like how can they be interesting enough to the press in the in the early in the early stage. Yeah, can you, be, can you put a wider question there, please, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, sex type is the answer, isn't it? I would I would say I would say is there really <laughs> is there really a need to uh, get into the mainstream press? Would be a great question in the first in the first instance. Um, you know, getting into the bigger, wider press. You know, it's it's nice. It's a bit of vanity. Um, You'd be shocked at how little actually happens after getting in the press in a big way. You know, we had one of our um, leaders do a 15-minute thing on the BBC, very perfect entrepreneurship, blah, blah, blah. We thought, um, we thought, oh, yeah, the, you know, we'll get a flood of inquiries through the website. And it was, you know, it was, I don't know, maybe 10 emails or something came through. I did um, a series on LBC Radio where I was doing entrepreneur um, conversations for an hour um, where people would call in and talk about their business problems and we'd, you know, talk about it on radio and you get a few, you know, you get a few inquiries, but it doesn't, it's not like a flood or a transformation that happens as a result of, um, of, of major media. Um, it's, it's handy. It's cool. It's great. But I would say things like getting onto a blog, getting onto a podcast, um, just starting with some of those things that are more industry specific, um, niche specific, um, and building up from there. Um, weirdly, here's one of the things. I, I love doing podcasts. I have found way more uh, traction, way more interest, way more you know, opportunities come from doing the right podcasts than being in the mainstream press, mainstream media. Um, people, you know, for example, this podcast, you know, someone's walking their dog, they're driving their car, they're on their commute, they're listening, they're having a chat, they're engaged. Um, and it feels like, you know, and it's a very specific type of person who would listen um, to this kind of thing. And it's the right person. It's the right sort of person I'd want to talk to anyway. If we were connecting a coffee shop or a bar, I'd want to have a chat with that person anyway, if they're listening to a podcast like this. Whereas, you know, a BBC uh, or, a, you know, a GQ magazine or something like that might not be so targeted. I love that. Like there's a big thing to people get wrapped up in the vanity of seeing what other people have done and assuming that it's going to be massive for them. So there's a, a huge takeaway from that. Sure. Yeah, there is. And I think when people think about becoming that key person of influence that we've been talking about, I know that's one of your main, your main mantras is that we think we have to become famous. Well, you only have to become famous to the people that actually matter. Don't you? Like if the person that you want to influence is not reading this, the, the magazine, there's no point in me being in like Rob said, woman's weekly, because if my market's not there, then it's an absolute waste of time. But one of the things, you're really really great at and one of the things that first um, I think connected me with you Daniel was your real understanding of people and their subconscious buying behaviors you're really good at pitching and understanding how to get under people's skins and that's how you I think I, I think that's probably one of the reasons you're so good at transforming businesses is because you, you can really get the people on board and understand the psychology behind getting people on board with that transformation and change so which ones and and how and how can we use some of these skills and principles when actually selling not face-to-face, but like online? Yeah, I, I talked about this a bit in my book, Oversubscribed. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's actually reasonably simple principles. So there's some simple principles such as, 
um, you know, get famous through the success of your clients. So don't try and be in the spotlight yourself. Uh, put the spotlight onto something that you care about. Put the spotlight onto the client, ideally. Um, and, you know, really people want to see, you know, no one's interested in Daniel Priestley. They're interested in, really more interested in what our clients have achieved and what, you know, what's transferable. Um, so that would be, you know, a key principle. Another principle is um, people want to buy what others are buying, not what others are selling. So if you're out there, sell, 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 sell all the time, um, you know, then essentially you're communicating the exact opposite of what people want to buy. Um, what people want to buy is what other people are buying, what other people are interested in. So you need to figure out how to position yourself, not as someone selling something, but as someone who's highlighting, you know, what's already happening, what's, what's moving. Um, and even if you've got two or three clients, getting out and talking about your existing clients is more powerful than talking about the clients you want. All the stuff that you're selling. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so there's, there's those sorts of things. Um, there's another principle that I use, which is people, um, people buy to solve problems. So, um, you, I, you know, when you're selling any product, you need to understand what problems does it solve and what are the deeper problems that it solves. Um, so rather than thinking about the very surface level uh, elements, it's actually, you know, what, what's this, what's this really about? Um, uh, so we, we delve deeper into those sorts of things. Another principle is people buy what they want, not what they need. Mm. Um, so you could, you know, you go broke trying to tell people what they need. You have to position it in the language of what they want, um, what they already want. Because that's a much you know? more emotive thing, isn't it? What, what do you think about the idea that it's just being banded around a lot now about focusing rather than just the problems it solves, but actually the transformation that people will experience? Do you subscribe to that or not? Yeah, exactly. It's the outcome. It's what, what is, the, what is this? Um, and that's very much about what people want. So what they want is the transformation. They want the, they want the thing that's on the other side. So, you know, nobody wants to go to the gym. Nobody wants to go for a run. No one wants to swing a kettlebell between their legs. Mm. Like these are not things that people want. What they want is the transformation. They want um, to be stronger, to be leaner, to be having more energy. They want, you know, they want to feel um, that feeling of fitness and endorphins and commitment to themselves and their routine. So, you know, it's that, it's those, it's that transformation that, that um, what's on the other side question that is an important um, question. You know, one of our clients sells world, you know, world-class leather jackets, amazing leather jackets. Um, and one of the things that we realized is that, you know, a big part of their brand and a big part of what they do is that they, um, they, are, they are the moment that you feel like the weekend has started. So it's, the, it's that putting on the, the leather jacket and starting the weekend. We, we realize that a lot of their clients are the types of people who wear a suit or a blazer throughout the week. And when they put on this freaking awesome leather jacket, the weekend has begun. Um, and, um, you know, and it, it's, that, it's like understanding that, that people feel different in a leather jacket than they do in a blazer. And, and how, do we, how do we build that into the brand and into the storytelling? Absolutely. I mean, it's, look at what Harley Davidson have done with their thing. You don't buy a bike from Harley Davidson. You're buying a lifestyle. You're buying that emotional transformation, the aren't kudos you? Kudos and the experience and everything. I mean, we've talked a few times already on this podcast about the fact that you need to surround yourself with good people. Being a key personal influence is going to really help with that. So like, if somebody wants to start assembling their first team members, maybe they're a solopreneur, as many of our listeners are, and they're ready to start taking it to the next level. Who are kind of the first hires, I guess, that people should mm. be looking at? If they're a small solopreneur, probably primarily online. Look, I'm going to be a real, I'm going to be a real jerk. Um, uh, I hate the word solopreneur, right? 
if if someone said, let me start with that, right? I'm, apologies for being a joke. Um, <laughs> Not at all. If, if someone said, I'm a footballer, but I don't play on a team. And you go, well, what does that mean? And you go, well, I love kicking the ball around and I love practicing. And it's like, okay, I get that you love football skills and I get that you're engaged in you know, training and you, you know, kicking a ball around. But football is a team sport. Like that, that's just, you can't get around it. It's a team sport. Um, if you're, you know, there's certain different team sizes. There's three-a-side football. There's five-a-side football. There's, um, you know, 10-a-side, 11-a-side football. But, but ultimately, football is a team sport. And when you get into the major, you know, the, the Premier League, you know, football is a 60-person team sport. There's, you know, the people on the field. There's the reserve players. There's the fitness players. There's the coaches and the managers. You know, and you get to a point where you can't run a proper football team without, you know, 50 to 100 people. So, you know, this idea, entrepreneurship is so complex and so difficult that if you're out by yourself, your best hope is survival. That's, that's in the same way, if I put a human being out in the wilderness, their best hope is survival. They're not going to set up a city. They're not going to set up a a, a brand new town um, by themselves. Like we, we throw someone into the wild and we follow them around with a camera crew. And what we're hoping for is that they don't die. Um, you know, that, that, that's, that's a great response. You know, it's like, here's Bear Grylls and he's going to show us how to eat a meal a day and to get some berries off a bush and how to spend all day trapping a fish. Like that, that's what, you know, that's, that's human beings on our own. Together, you know, when we work in teams, we launch rockets and we, you know, build internets and we, you know, have supercomputers in our pockets. None of that stuff happens with, with one person. Um, and the other thing with entrepreneurs is we see the visible entrepreneur because that makes sense from a branding perspective. There is no such thing as your hero who doesn't have a team. So if you love Gary Vaynerchuk, well, Gary Vaynerchuk's got 600 people in his team at VaynerMedia. Um, if you love Tim Ferriss, well, Tim Ferriss has got 12 people who make Tim Ferriss look like he's working alone. Um, you know, if you, look, if you love Ryan Holiday, Ryan Holiday's got four or five people working full-time with him all the time. Like, all of these people who you think of as, as your heroes and your, your mentors and all these kind of people, they're all playing a team sport. They've all got their reliable team players around them. So um, the first thing is, is, please don't kid yourself that there's this thing called a successful solopreneur. Your best hope is survival if you're, if you're genuinely working by yourself. Um, it's only when you actually uh, have a team that, that things work. So who do you want on your team? Well, you're going to want a few different people. Um, I've always started businesses on day one with a team. I always have a salesperson. There's no question that you either need someone who's booking appointments into the diary to sell to, or you need someone who's following up and closing sales and, and, and talking to people. People are busy. If, you if you're not calling them, they're not going to call you back. You've got to, you know, you've got to, talk to those people and, and drop them an email and drop them a reminder. And you need someone whose job is, is sales. I always have someone who's like an accounts person slash admin person slash Swiss army knife. Um, Swiss army knife is a good example. Swiss army knife is, is a, a tool that does 25 things badly. And, um, <laughs> and you, you, you kind of want someone who's, who's that, you know, that they're, they can do a, they can do some data entry. They can go down and get some photocopying and some printing done. They can set up an event, and they're not necessarily specialist in any of that stuff, but they're quite they're quite useful for for solving those kind of problems. Um, the other one too is you might want someone who's technically brilliant. So if you're a graphic design firm, uh, you want someone who's just the best graphic designer you know. Um, if you're you know if you're a hair salon, you want a really really good hairdresser. 
Um, so someone who's got that, ideally someone who's technically better than you are at something. So those are the three kind of people. Um, if you were to add to that, you might want to mentor someone who, yeah, a friend of the family who you can go and have a glass of wine with and talk about your problems. Um, you might, you definitely want someone who's great with graphic design so you can build brochures and websites and that sort of stuff. Um, may not be someone who works full-time in the business, but certainly someone who's a reliable uh, supplier to you um, for that sort of stuff. So these are some of the people you want to put around you uh, in the early days. That's amazing. That's amazing. Because a lot of people think they are trying to juggle it all themselves. And what do you think about oftentimes, if you look at Gerber and the E-Myth, he talks about often the reason that a lot of us get into the business is because we are the technically brilliant person. We are the person who's the, the business coach or we are the person who's the whatever it is we teach people to do, the, the personal trainer. Do you think we could be the technically brilliant people and then we build everyone else around us? Or do you think we still need another technically brilliant person? Well, I think uh, you still, my, my honest answer, is you still need someone who's technically brilliant and ideally someone who's even better than you are. As you step into the role of key person of influence, it's not like you never ever work the tools. It's not like you're never doing things. Michael Gerber is a great example, right? So Gerber writes a book about systemization and making a business that doesn't rely upon you. And then he personally travels the world talking about it um, and hasn't been able to get out of doing that for the last 40 years. So, or however many years, 30 years. So Gerber is an interesting example. He's sitting there going, oh, it's all about systems and processes and it's all about uh, working on the business, not in the business and, and all that sort of stuff. And what does he do? He runs around pitching it. He publishes content. He chooses products. He raises profile. He does partnerships. And he's the key person of influence for the business. Now, he's also technically brilliant and he technically knows what he's doing. So sometimes he's like creating content or he's creating, working with a client. Sometimes he's, um, you know, solving a really challenging problem that his team weren't able to solve. Um, but he's, he's doing all of that from the position of being the key person of influence. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's it, you build it around that. And the idea for a lot of people, I think, of finding somebody who's technically better than yourself can be a bit intimidating. But the thing is, you're the entrepreneur, aren't you? You're, you're the person with that business, uh, that, that business sensibility who you want to do it yourself. You're looking for now somebody who's technically better than you, but doesn't want to do it themselves. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, person, that person's not trying to start a business. That person just wants to do more technical stuff. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, they're probably more qualified than you. They're probably um, more, they geek out on the actual technical side of it more than you do. You know, they're, they're just more meticulous than you are. Um, and that's what you want. You want, you want that person. So, Daniel, we're now going to fire over into what we lovingly refer to as the quick fire round. Hey, you don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers Podcast now on your podcast player. What would be a book you'd recommend? Uh, the book that changes your life the most is not one you read. It's one you write yourself. Go write a book. If you've got time to write, read, you've got time to write. Ooh, oh, that is a stellar answer. <laughs> What's your top success habit? Something you do daily, weekly, or regularly? Sales. Sales. I thought you were going to say write a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, honestly, every single week, um, I personally uh, engage in uh, sales conversations and the reason for that and i only do it on a tuesday afternoon but the reason for that is because inside sales conversations you hear about what's really going on for people um, when you're talking to people about them becoming a client um, that's where you hear about the problems that's where you hear about what they want to solve for me as a marketer as a key person of influence as someone who steps on stage and tells people how how to suck eggs like i, I don't want to do that i don't want to be the guy who's completely detached from reality um, yeah. The thing that keeps me most grounded 
uh, in the reality of business is talking to people in sales conversations about what's troubling them, about what's, what's um, frustrating them and how to solve it. And, and actually trying to find a solution that's affordable, that works, that they can rely upon, that they feel confident in. And, and really the rubber hits the road in the sales conversation. Mm, it keeps you really relevant, doesn't it? Yeah. And if you're a marketer, like there are certain marketers I know who love copy and they love Facebook ads and they love looking at data and they will not pick up the phone and talk to a person for real. <laughs> and I, and I go, and I go, listen, you can't be a marketer if you're not willing to, to actually have a conversation with people. Like you can't do this stuff at arm's length all the time. You have to get, you got to get your hands dirty. So who do you look up to? Oh, um, I really, I've had, I've had a brilliant opportunity to work with my mentors. Like I work with people who have built hundred billion pound businesses and you know, brilliant entrepreneurs. Who do I look up to? I look up to people who have been able to successfully balance family with their ambition and their goals and people who have um, been able to, I really look up to people who are able to maintain some form of health and fitness and wellness through the whole process. Um, I really look up to people who are deep thinkers about what it is that they've been able to achieve. I really look up to people who acknowledge the role of luck in their success um, and who acknowledge the role of brilliant teams of people around them um, and who don't try and steal the credit and pass on the, you know, pass, you know, pass on the, uh, the failures to others. You know, those are the types of people I really look up to. I love it. What are your favorite kind of apps that you think are super cool and helpful right now? Um, so I love Evernote just for smashing ideas into the Evernote. Um, I love Slack for being able to communicate with my team. Um, uh, I know this sounds like such a weird one to say, but Facebook, um, the fact that I can have a Facebook live, I, you know, I've got, I've got client forums where we have a thousand clients per forum and we've got several forums around the world. We've got the Australian one and the UK one and, and each one's got a thousand clients in it. And this morning I just had an idea that I wanted to share with my clients. So I just jump on and I do a Facebook live and you know we have a you know 15 minute conversation of people jumping and it was i mean it's just it blows my mind that this this stuff is freely available yeah. um, you know it's it is insane yeah i remember a few years ago we were all trying to figure out how to put video on the internet and now we can do it live for absolutely yeah. free i mean it's unbelievable really big important question who do you like more red-haired rob or platinum-haired kennedy Oh, wow. That's like saying, who do I like more? You know, uh, I, I can't choose between, you know, it's like John or Paul. It's like, you know, it's, it's just too big a decision. I, I, I would merge the two, right? I think both of you should just sort of like go red platinum each. <laughs> Have like a stripe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Daniel, where can people go if they want to find out more about you and your work? Well, the starters just leave me alone, please. Come on, I'm busy. <laughs> um, no, uh, look, uh, uh, honestly, I, um, I would, you know, of course, I'd be absolutely thrilled to send people a book or if they grab the books on Amazon. Um, there's four books in the series. Uh, a key person of influence and entrepreneur revolution oversubscribed in 24 assets. There, there's uh, the online scorecard. So a key person of influence scorecard is essentially, it's like 40 questions that you have to answer yes or no to and um uh and a lot of people get a lot of value out of that because it gives clarity and it actually summarizes you know what you should and shouldn't be doing really well uh, people can absolutely connect with me on instagram twitter or facebook or any of those sorts of things um or, or just like randomly approach me on the street especially if i'm with my wife 
because like she doesn't actually rate you know she she's just she just constantly plays down all of my achievements and <laughs> and and if you can approach me on the street when I'm with my wife and just be like oh are you that Daniel Priestley guy um and maybe say something like you've totally changed my life and say it nice and loud and confidently so she hears that and um and then I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up with 20 pounds afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we have to do the big reveal. What was the song that Kennedy sung? You're going to kick yourself now you hear it. This, that was Aretha Franklin Respect. Obviously, oh. now you hear it. I, that was, do you know what? That was, my, that was the other one I was going to say. Sure. I, was, yeah. I was so <laughs> close. I was, uh, I was tossing up between Radiohead, Fake Plastic Trees, and Aretha Franklin, R-E-S-P-C-E-T. Do you know what it is? I always get those two confused as well. And I got the DJ at a wedding. I'm like, shall I get? <laughs> Daniel, thank you so much for joining us, Three Mark, and us welcome to the podcast. We're really, really appreciate it. We've had a great time. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. What a really great episode. I think what's nice about this sort of thing is that you can really take all of the principles that Daniel teaches and sort of pepper them and use them to season the rest of all of your marketing. It almost like drives your marketing. Like every time you're putting out a new piece, you think actually, how is it underpinned with all of these things? Once you've got them as the foundation, build everything on top, and it all sort of speaks that same one cause and brings people back around. Yeah, it's good. He makes it much more actionable than lots of people who talk oh about this goodness. stuff. Just tell, what's great about Daniel is that he's actually doing it and he's actually building businesses and has built many really successful businesses actually doing this stuff. It's not just stuff he's come up with in order to like write this latest book. So what I love about it is not only is it actionable by itself, but also if you take it and just say, like you said, make every decision about your marketing based on your answers those to those things, your ability to do those things. Really, really cool. That's it. And of course, if you are running any kind of application form yourself for your kind of coaching programs or any kind of high ticket program at all, you can go and download our template for really high converting application forms. It's completely free. You can just model it and start seeing a higher uptake on your application forms over at perfectapplicationform.com. Now, if you have missed anything in this episode and you'd like to check out the show notes, Grace here in the office has put them all together for you over at blog.responsesuite.com forward slash 034. That's all for this week, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Don't miss a thing. Miss a thing. Check out the show notes at blog.responsesuite.com.